pray. My master God, Father God, I am desired to preach today, but go weak and needy to my task. Yet I long that people might be edified with divine truth, that an honest testimony might be born for thee. Give me assistance in preaching and prayer with heart uplifted for grace and unction. Present to my view things pertinent to my subject, with fullness of matter and clarity of thought, proper expression, fluency, fervency, a feeling sense of the things I preach, and grace to apply them to men's consciences. Keep me conscious all the while of my defects, and let me not gloat in pride over my defaults. Help me to offer a testimony for thyself, and to leave sinners inexcusable in neglecting thy mercy. Give me freedom to open the sorrows of thy people, and to set before them comforting consideration. Attend with power the truth preached, and awaken the attention of my slothful audiences. May thy people be refreshed, melted, convicted, comforted, and help me to use the strongest arguments drawn from Christ's incarnation and suffering that men might be made holy. I myself need thy support, comfort, strength, holiness, that I might be a pure channel of thy grace and be able to do something for thee. Give me then refreshment among thy people and help me not to treat excellent matter in a defective way. Forbear a broken testimony to so worthy a redeemer. Or be harsh in treating of Christ's death with design and end from lack of warmth and fervency and keep me in tune with thee as I do this work. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that our sins could be forgiven. Today, we will survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. We will behold this mystery with godly fear and humility. It is true that only our omniscient, all-knowing, triune God can fathom the depth of what Jesus meant when he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We are encouraged by the incomprehensibility of this marvelous mystery. The deep and secret things belong to God. How inscrutable, how unsearchable, how unfathomable are his ways. However, we are encouraged that God has revealed to us in the Bible the basics of his ways, the fundamentals, the ABCs. God has graciously revealed to us who believe the mind of Christ by our diligent study of the word of Christ to see and understand the basics of the crucifixion of Christ. God reveals truth to us so that we can worship him in spirit and truth. Let's reverently proceed by tipping our toes, so to speak, into this vast and deep ocean of gospel truth. We will worshipfully consider three things. What does it mean that Jesus was forsaken? Why was Jesus forsaken? And how does Jesus being forsaken apply to how we live our lives? These three things are intertwined. They are 
closely connected. Therefore, I will be discussing these creeds together as I explain and apply the fourth sands, the most profound of the seven sands of Jesus from Calvary's cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I will also explain what the darkness means. This darkness sheds much light on Jesus being forsaken. The seven sayings of Jesus from the cross can be gathered together by reading and comparing the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is Matthew and Mark which record this fourth saying. For perspective, I will begin by reading the immediate context for today's sermon on Matthew 27, 45, and 46. Please follow along in your Bibles as I read Matthew 27, verses 35 to 54. Matthew 27, verses 35 to 54. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down, Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe. You trust in God? Let God rescue him now, if he delights in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come and save us. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly this was the Son of God. According to Mark chapter 15, verse 25, the beginning of Jesus' crucifixion was from the third hour, which means 9 a.m. Therefore, the amazing events that we just read about in Matthew 27, verses 35 to 44, took place between 9 a.m. and 12 p.m. Look at verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. What does this darkness mean? I'll partially explain that today. First, 
This darkness was not an astronomical eclipse because the sun and moon were far apart on this day in history. The darkness, the darkness was a supernatural darkness caused by Almighty God. This supernatural darkness illustrates theologically what was taking place on the cross. The deep darkness displays deep doctrine. Listen carefully. This darkness symbolizes the presence of God in one way, and this darkness symbolizes the absence of God's presence in another way. I'll repeat that. This darkness symbolizes the presence of God in one way, and this darkness symbolizes the absence of God's presence in another way. First, this supernatural darkness represents in a very dramatic way God the Father's righteous wrath being unleashed on his son Jesus Christ on the cross. This darkness displays divine judgment on Jesus as he takes the punishment for the sins of his people. Darkness is associated with the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. The day of the Lord is a technical term. It means divine judgment. For example, Isaiah chapter 13 verses 9 through 11. Isaiah 13, 9 through 11 says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. And he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquities. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. This divine judgment on an unbelieving world is a prophecy of the dramatic events, the cataclysmic events associated with the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. Jesus talked about this prophecy uh, of his second coming in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus actually quotes Isaiah 13.10 in Matthew 24.29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky and the powers will be shaken. In part of the next verse in Matthew 24.30, Jesus refers to himself appearing in the sky to be seen as the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. These verses show us that darkness is symbolic of divine judgment on sin. Jesus, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, will be the just judge at his second coming. However, during Jesus' first coming, when he was on the cross, he was experiencing the terrible reality of being forsaken by the just judge the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, his Father. The pitch black darkness, the gloomy darkness, the dreadful darkness symbolizes divine fury, righteous wrath, burning anger being unleashed by the Father on his Son. How can it be? God the Father forsaking God the Son. How can it be? God forsaking God. The darkness of Matthew 27, verse 45, is a fulfillment of prophecy 
from Psalm chapter 22, verse 2. The overwhelming darkness is the night season of Psalm 22, verse 2. You heard read during the scripture reading this morning. It says, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. The beginning of the next verse, Psalm chapter 22, verse 3a, tells us one of the reasons for the night season. This period of three hours of supernatural darkness. Psalm 22, 3a, yet you are holy. The reasons, the riveting reason, the glorious reason for the darkness is this. God is holy because God the Father is holy. He turned his face of fellowship away from God the Son. This was painted in the Jerusalem sky by the heaven-sent darkness. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, Habakkuk 1, 13, that God in his holiness cannot look approvingly on sin. God is so good that he hates sin. God hates sin with a perfect hatred, a holy hatred, a righteous hatred. God is not partial. Sin must be punished wherever his omniscient eyes see it, even if this sin is found on his sinless son, his holy son, his pure son, his undefiled son, his blameless son, his innocent son. God punished his innocent son as the substitute for our sins so that he could justly declare us to be innocent in his sight. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, be motivated to forsake your sins. Forsake those sins today. Forsake those sins that Jesus was forsaken for on that old rugged cross 2,000 years ago. Be strong by the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. As you heard earlier, for he made him that is, God the Father made God the Son. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That you might become the righteousness of God in him. Dear believer, Jesus is credited with the unrighteousness of your sin. And you are credited or imputed with the righteousness of his perfect, obedient life. Glory to God. God is the perfect, just judge. Punish Jesus on the cross for the sins of his elect people. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, in awesome wonder, sing a new song to our Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb who was forsaken for believers' sins from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. So here's the second reason for the divine darkness. It symbolizes a lack of God's presence in terms of his fellowship, his sweet fellowship with his one and only unique son. The darkness displays God's face or countenance being turned away from Christ. The Father's presence and fellowship is God's face of fellowship. The shining light of Jehovah's face of fellowship was turned away from Jesus. Why? Because God cannot have fellowship with sin. Sin separates. 
our Savior was separated from God for our sins. Let this thought sink down into your heart. We are blessed to have fellowship with each other and with our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because Jesus endured the agony of forsaken fellowship with the Father by being forsaken, by being cursed for our sins. Dear Christian, because Jesus endured this piercing sorrow of this separation from his Father, we are blessed with the favor of this Trinitarian benediction in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Some of you may be, may be thinking a good question. Actually, a profound question. What about the Holy Spirit? Our biblical text today in Matthew 27, 45, and 46 does not mention the third person of the Holy Trinity here. Yet the Bible has an amazing Trinitarian verse that directly applies as part of the answer to this important question. Remember, Jesus was empowered for all, minist- all his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the eternal Holy Spirit was needed to enable Jesus to bear the sin for his people. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Stunningly states this. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The spirit of God empowered the Son of God to offer up himself as the sinless sacrifice to God. However, it is safe to say that the Holy Spirit withheld his comforting support to Christ. The Holy Spirit withheld his comforting support to Christ. To be forsaken implies the absence of comfort. The absence of comfort. Since the Trinity works together in perfect unity, The Father not comforting Jesus means that the Holy Spirit was not comforting Jesus either. This application is staggering. Dear Christian, think about this. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is comforter. We can be comforted as Christians in all our need because Jesus was not comforted by the Holy Spirit on Calvary's cross as he suffered the punishment for our sins. Listen to Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 again. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. This divine darkness was deafening, so to speak. The silence during the three hours shouted out, fulfill prophecy. The book of Matthew was written for a primarily Jewish audience to prove that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah and king. This is why Matthew quotes so many times from the Old Testament to show that Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. Again, you heard Psalm 22 read this morning. This psalm is filled with messianic prophecies about the crucifixion of Christ. The famous expositor, D. Campbell Morgan, wrote this, quote, 
We have no picture of the Son of God during these three hours. No record of a word passing from his lips. It was a period of infinite silence. The period of overwhelming darkness. End quote. Listen to that powerfully penned phrase. A period of infinite silence. Behold, what a sacrifice for his people is being made. Jesus, the living word, is the perfect communication to the world of what God the Father is like. As prophesied in Psalm chapter 22, verse 2, God the Father would not hear, which means he would not hear in a helpful way, a comforting way, the cries, the groans from his son's heart. Oh, what a deafening silence. Psalm chapter 22, verse 2 says, Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Jesus did not have comforting communication with God as he was being crushed while taking the condemnation for sin. Think about the dear price of our communication with that cost. We should prize the privilege of prayer that was purchased by Christ on Calvary. We should prize the privilege of prayer. This ability to communicate to God in prayer was purchased on Calvary's cross. Because Jesus was forsaken for our sins, we who believe have Jesus as our mediator to communicate with our Abba Father. Let this truth motivate you, dear brethren, to repent of any sin that is interfering with your communication with God in prayer. Psalm chapter 66, verse 18. Psalm chapter 66, verse 18 says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Let's transition to Matthew 27, 45 to verse 46. Jesus had been obediently, faithfully drinking the infinitely bitter cup of God's wrath for at least three hours. At about the ninth hour, at about 3 p.m., Jesus was finishing drinking this bitter cup of divine wrath. God's Burning anger for our sins. Reverently speaking, Jesus drank damnation dry for his people. He drank that bitter cup all the way to the last burning drop. Recall that in the Garden of Gethsemane, just thinking about drinking this cup of wrath caused Jesus to sweat blood as he was praying. Now on the cross, Jesus was shedding his precious blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus had been experiencing hell on the cross for you, for me, dear brothers and sisters. At about the same time he was finishing his atoning work, his propitiation, his substitutionary satisfactory sacrifice. At about this time, as the gloomy darkness is starting to fade away, to dissipate away, the three-hour period of, of infinite silence. It is broken. It is broken. Matthew 27, 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen to Charles Spurgeon here. Quote, 
I do not think that the records of time or even eternity contain a sentence more full of anguish. Here the wormwood in the gall and all the other bitternesses are outdone. Here you may look into a vast abyss, and though you strain your eyes and gaze till sight fails you, yet you perceive no bottom. It is measureless, unfathomable, inconceivable. This anguish of the Savior on your behalf and mine is no more to be measured and weighed than the sin which needed it, or the love which endured it. We will adore where we cannot comprehend. We cannot comprehend this saint. We cannot comprehend this loud lament by Jesus. Why not? It is as deep as the mind of our triune God. But Jesus, being God the Son, is omniscient or all-knowing. He comprehended everything that was happening on the cross perfectly. This is one of the reasons Jesus is quoting prophecy as he is fulfilling it. He understands why he was forsaken. His quotation of the beginning of Psalm 22.1 fits into one of the purposes of the Gospel of Matthew being written, as aforementioned. The Jews present at the crucifixion would surely recognize this portion of Scripture. This is yet another example of the prophecy of the Scripture of Scripture being fulfilled to show that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Coming One. The entire verse for Psalm 22, verse 1, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from deliverance are the words of my groaning. It is helpful to understand what being forsaken does not mean. Being forsaken does not mean. Briefly, some people hold to the false interpretation that Jesus was not actually forsaken. They say wrongly that Jesus only felt as if he was forsaken. The theological fact is that Jesus was actually forsaken by the Father. Jesus felt forsaken because he was forsaken. Jesus, the God-man, the perfect human without any sin, knows how you feel when you feel forsaken, when you feel abandoned. Yes, Jesus knows, and he knows by experience what it feels like to be lonely, to feel the hopelessness of crying out for help and receiving no answer. Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses. So brethren, go to the Bible for help. Pray the scripture, which is sufficient for everything that pertains to life and godliness. Follow the best example of Jesus Christ himself and quote, and pray scripture so that God will be glorified in helping you. Apply Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Please listen closely to what I'm about to explain. The separation that Jesus experienced was not a separation of the Trinity into three parts. The separation that Jesus experienced was not a separation of the Trinity into three parts. The Trinity is one God in three persons, each of whom is fully God. The Trinity was in no way 
confounded or abrogated when Jesus was forsaken for our sins. The Trinity was not broken. The Trinity, the union of the oneness of divine essence or being, was not broken. The Trinity is eternal and everlasting. Also, God is immutable. Immutable, which means he does not change. God has always been a Trinity, and he always will be a Trinity. As I have been explaining, the forsakenness was the separation of fellowship, specifically during the three hours of darkness when Jesus experienced hell for us. Jesus experienced the torments of hell for all believers so that his elect people would experience perfect fellowship with him in the Father, in the Holy Spirit, in heaven forever. Contemplate this as a motivation for more zeal, more zeal in your devotion to Jesus. The Bible describes the intimacy of Christ with his Father with such tenderness. Jesus is described in John chapter 1, verse 18, as being in the bosom of the Father. Ponder this. Perfect intimacy, this perfect fellowship, this perfect communion, this perfect communication. All this perfection had been experienced since eternity past. This fact helps us to get a glimpse, helps us to see a little of the magnitude of the shocking contrast of Jesus being forsaken by his Father. John MacArthur writes this, quote, When Christ was forsaken by the Father, the separation was not one of nature, essence, or substance. Christ did not, in any sense or, de or degree, cease to exist as God, or as a member of the Trinity. He did not cease to be the Son. Any more than a child who sins severely against his human father ceases to be his child. But Jesus did, for a while, cease to know the intimacy of fellowship with his heavenly Father, just as a disobedient child ceases for a while to have intimate, normal, loving fellowship with his human father. The Father never stopped loving His one and only unique Son. However, the loving fellowship with His Son ceased as the innocent Jesus was punished for the guilt of our sins. The punishment was the equivalent of everlasting punishment of hell for millions of sinners who are chosen to be saved from God's righteous wrath. Jesus experienced the burning pain of forsaken fellowship on Calvary's cross. Why? So that Christians would not experience the burning pain of hell's fire forever. In some supernatural and mysterious way, Jesus experienced hell's torments of divine judgment for your sin, brethren. The spiritual pain of God's forsakenness endured by Christ, it was infinitely more painful infinitely more painful than the physical pain, the agonizing, grueling pain of hanging on the cross, suffocating, bleeding with nail-pierced hands and feet. Brothers and sisters, Jesus endured hell's everlasting punishment for you as your substitute so that you will enjoy heaven's paradise forever. Glory to God. 
let's appreciate this more fully. By briefly considering how the Bible describes the terribleness of hell. The punishment of people who do not have their sins forgiven by repenting and believing in Jesus Christ alone as their Lord and Savior is this. Everlasting fire in Matthew 25, 41. Unquenchable fire in Matthew 3, 12. Shame and everlasting contempt in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. A place where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched in Mark 9, 44. A place of torment not only because of the flames, but also the torment of an accusing conscience, of lost opportunities to repent and believe the gospel, to be saved while previously living on the earth. In Luke chapter 16, verses 23 to 26. Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Presence, that is, the comforting presence. Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. In 2 Thessalonians 1.9. Outer darkness. That is, the darkness farthest away from the light. Combined with never-ending pain, described as weeping and gnashing of teeth in Matthew 8.12. The blackness of darkness forever in Jude chapter 13. A place of torment with fire and brimstone where the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and they have no rest in Revelation chapter 14 verses 10 through 11. Jesus experienced this infinite hell for everybody who is going to heaven. Infinite means limitless, without limit. Infinite means immeasurable, impossible to be measured. Infinite means boundless, without boundary. Infinite means eternal, never-ending. On the cross, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the infinite God-man, absorbed God's infinite wrath, motivated by God's infinite justice and God's infinite love, so that the Father would show infinite mercy on all who believe the everlasting gospel for the infinite purpose of our infinite praise of God's infinite glory. So here's another reason that Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is showing us what hell is like. When Jesus was forsaken to save his people from their sins, he is showing us what hell is like. God is present in hell. But God's presence in hell is the presence of his righteous wrath poured out forever on the unrighteous. But God is not present in hell in any comforting way. God is not present in hell in any comforting way. Hell is everlasting punishment without any relief, without any comfort, without any compassion. Dear unbelievers here today, unbelievers, 
Let this picture of hell cause you to cry out to God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, the sinner. Dear unbeliever, you who have not repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ as your only Savior, in the Lord, King, and Master of your life. Appreciating the Savior's sacrifice is the key to coming to Christ alone, by faith alone, for the forever forgiveness of all your sins. Safety from hell is a great motivator to flee from hell's, hell's wrath and to flee to Jesus. But safety from hell must be accompanied by a heartfelt commitment to love and obey Jesus as your precious treasure, as the beautiful Lord of your life and satisfying Savior from sin. Saving faith in Jesus, the Son of God, includes being satisfied in Him above all else. By God's empowering grace, you must see that you deserve hell for your sins. The wages of sin is death. Don't you see the exceeding sinfulness of your sin? But you must also see the love of Jesus expressed to sinners like you on that old rugged cross. What amazing love. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, didst die for me? Many commentators have pointed out this interesting fact concerning Jesus saying, my God, my God. This is the only time in the New Testament that Jesus referred to his Father as God. Every other time that Jesus spoke to God the Father, he called him Father. The Son referring to God the Father shows intimacy. It shows the intimacy of their eternal Father-Son relationship. But now, but now, when Jesus is being forsaken by the Father so that our sins could be forgiven, Jesus does not say, Jesus does not say, my Father, my Father. Instead, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is no arbitrary word choice. This points to Jesus feeling abandoned because he is experiencing God's anger as the sin bearer. However, even though Jesus was not enjoying the fellowship of his father's affection, he amazingly expressed, he amazingly expressed a submissive, faithful, divine affection for his father by crying out with a loud, my God, my God. We see affection amplified from Jesus towards his father with the word my repeated twice. We see submission with steadfastness from Jesus with the word God repeated twice. Jesus is the champion. He is so resolved, so determined to be obedient to the father all the way to the point of death. Brethren, let's persevere under pressure as Jesus did so faithfully, looking unto him, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? Here is a lengthy quote from J.C. Ryle from his magnificent expository thoughts on the gospel. Let us observe that it is possible to be forsaken of God for a time and yet be loved by him. You need not doubt this. 
when we read our Lord's dying words on the cross, we hear him saying to his father, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet, addressing him as my God. We know, we know too, that our Lord was only forsaken for a season, and that even when forsaken, he was the beloved son, in whom both in his suffering and dying, the father was well pleased. There is deep experimental instruction in this, which deserves the notice of all true Christians. No doubt, there is a sense in which our Lord's feeling of forsaken was peculiar to himself, since he was suffering for our sins and not for his own. But still, after making this allowance, there remains the great fact that Jesus was for a time forsaken of the Father. And yet, for all that, was the Father's beloved Son. As it was with the great head of the church, so it may be, in a modified sense, with his ministry. They too, though chosen and beloved of the Father, may sometimes feel God's grace and God's face turned away from them. They too sometimes from illness of body, sometimes from peculiar afflictions, sometimes from carelessness of walk, sometimes from God's sovereign will to draw them near to himself, may be constrained to cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It becomes believer to feel forsaken, to learn from our Lord's experience, not to give way to despair, no doubt they ought not to be content with their position. They ought to search their own hearts and see whether there is not some secret thing there which causes their consolation to be small. But let them not write bitter things against themselves and hastily conclude that they are cut off forever or are self-deceivers and have no grace at all. Let them still wait on the Lord and say with Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. In Job 13, verse 15. Jesus Christ was forsaken by the Father so that our sins could be forgiven. Here is the big application for us today. By God's grace and for his glory, let's forsake the sin that Jesus was forsaken for on Calvary's cross. Dear brethren, listen. Let's not take pleasure in sin that caused our Jesus so much pain to forgive. Let's kill those sins which Jesus died for. What sins? Beloved brethren, God will show you. Let's pray Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. CBC brethren, let's apply these poetic words. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, Lord, I will tear it from its throne and worship only thee. 
I'll conclude with a prayer from the Valley of Vision. And this is a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. Love lustless or shine at Calvary. Let's pray. My Father, enlarge my heart, warm my affections, open my lips, supply words that proclaim love lusters at Calvary. Their grace removes my burdens and heaps them on thy Son, made a transgressor, a curse in sin for me. There the sword of thy justice smote the man, thy fellow. There thy infinite attributes were magnified. An infinite atonement was made. There infinite punishment was due. An infinite punishment was endured. Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy. Cast off that I might be brought in. Trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. Surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best. Stripped that I might be clothed. Wounded that I might be healed. A thirst that I might drink. Tormented that I might be comforted. Made ashamed that I might inherit glory. Entered darkness that I might have eternal light. My Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from my eyes. Groaned that I might have endless songs. Endured all pain that I might have unfading health. Bore a thorny crown that I might have a glory diadem. Bowed his head that I might uplift him. Experienced reproach that I might receive welcome. Closed his eyes in death that I might gaze on unclouded brightness. Expired that I might forever live. O oh, Father, who spared not thy only Son, that thou mightest spare me. All this transfer thy love designed and accomplished. Help me to adore thee by lips and life. Oh, that my every breath might be ecstatic praise, my every step buoyant with delight, as I see my enemies crushed, Satan baffled, defeated, destroyed, sin buried in the ocean of reconciling blood, Hell's gates closed, heaven, heaven's portal opened. Go forth, O conquering God, and show me the cross, mighty to subdue, comfort, and save. In Jesus' name, amen.